order. Questions to the Prime Minister. Yeah. Mike Kane. Yeah. Question one, Mr Speaker. Thank you, Mr Speaker. This morning I had meetings with ministerial colleagues and others, and in addition to my duties in this House, I shall have further such meetings later today. Mike Kane. Go on, even fantastically corrupt Nigeria is asking Britain to clean up its act and introduce beneficial ownership registers in the overseas territories. Will the Prime Minister achieve this tomorrow at the anti-corruption summit? Well, well first of all, I better check the microphones on before speaking. It's probably a good um, idea. I thank the uh, Honourable Gentleman for his question. The answer to his question is yes. We have asked three things of the Overseas Territories and Crown Dependencies. We asked for automatic exchange of tax information. We asked for a common reporting standard for multinational companies. And we asked for central beneficial ownership registries so UK enforcement could know who really owns companies that are based there. They've delivered on the first two and they will be following and delivering on the third. That's what he asked for and that's exactly what he's getting. we have unprecedented housing growth. Does the Prime Minister agree that we must build sufficient starter homes so that the dream of home ownership becomes something that everybody really can aspire to? No, well, I want to thank my constituency neighbour and uh, our honourable friend for raising that question. The fact is we are building more houses uh, right across England. We're building more affordable homes and the legislation going through this house and the other place will make sure we deliver our manifesto pledge of 200,000 starter homes. Those are the homes you want to see, affordable for people to buy. And I hope that even at this late stage, the Labour Party and the House of Lords will stop blocking this bill. Thank you very much, Mr. Speaker. Since we um, often celebrate uh, great national events in this House, would the Prime Minister join me in wishing Sir David Attenborough a very happy 90th birthday and thank him for all the, all the way that he's presented nature programmes on television and awakened the ideas of so many people to the fragility of our ecosystem and educated a whole generation. Um, Mr Speaker, on this side of the House, we are fully aware... I haven't asked a question yet, it's OK. We are fully aware that the European Union has strengthened workers' rights in many ways. In March, while the Prime Minister was trying to undermine workers' rights with his trade union bill, the European Commission put forward proposals to close loopholes in the posting of workers' directive, which would stop employers exploiting foreign workers and undercutting national rates of pay. Will the Prime Minister confirm that his government will protect workers and will back these reforms to stop this undercutting and grotesque exploitation of many workers across this continent? 
first of all, I certainly join the Right Honourable Gentleman wishing a very happy birthday to David Attenborough. I think many of us in this House feel that we grew up with him as our teacher about the natural world and about the environment, and he is a remarkable man. I'm proud to say um, that uh, the Royal Survey ship, the Arctic ship, is going to be named after David Attenborough. Um, there was strong support for Boaty McBoatface, but I think... Um, I think, it, I think the life raft on the boat is going to be, the submarine on the boat is going to be named Boaty McBoatface, but quite rightly, uh, Attenborough will take top billing. On the posted uh, workers director, we are looking at this closely, working with our partners. We do see some merit in what's being proposed. I can tell him today that the yellow card procedure has been invoked by national parliaments over this, demonstrating the importance of these sorts of safeguards, even more of which, of course, we achieved in my renegotiation. Re 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 but the best thing we can do for workers' rights in this country is celebrate the national living wage introduced by a Tory government. Mr Speaker, the national minimum wage was a Labour introduction. The national living wage proposed by his friend the Chancellor is frankly a corruption of the very idea of it. It is not, in reality, a proper living wage. But, Mr Speaker, my question, my question was about the posting of workers' directive which would prevent the grotesque exploitation by unscrupulous employers of workers being moved from one nation to another in, in order to undercut the wages of the second nation. Will the Prime Minister be absolutely clear? Will the British Government support this very, very important reform to stop this exploitation? As I've said, we're working with the Dutch Presidency. We think there's merit in a lot of the proposals, but we want to make sure we get the details right. But let me pull him up on something. He's just described the national living wage as a corruption. The national living wage, £7.20 an hour, a £20 a week pay rise to some of the poorest people in our country. I really think before this, he ought to get up and say he supports the national living wage and thanks the government for introducing it. Speaker, I support every a you know, wage rise. Obviously, the point I'm making is that it is not it is not a living wage. It is not a living wage as as is generally understood. Um, Mr. Speaker. Um, Saying yes seems to be one of the hardest words for the Prime Minister. For a third time, could he just say whether he does or does not support the posting of workers' directive? He might be aware that Patrick Minford, a former economic adviser to Margaret Thatcher, um, has said that the European Union has a negative effect on the City of London and he would want the shackles of European regulation removed. Does the Prime Minister believe that membership hurts the City of London or does he believe that European Union regulation of the finance sector in Britain and British administered tax havens would help the sort of bad practice exposed by the Panama Papers or uh, underlined by my friend in his earlier question today? Um, well, this is an area where we basically agree with each other about the European Union, so um, I'll try and identify a question in that lot and answer it as positively as I can. 
First of all, on Patrick Minford, I completely disagree with the economist Patrick Minford. He wants to see manufacturing industry in our country obliterated, and I think it would be a disastrous step if we followed the advice that he gives. In terms of the City of London, in terms of the City of London, we need the right regulation for the City of London to continue its massive rate of job creation and wealth creation in our country, but we also need to remain members of the single market because it's absolutely vital for this important sector of our economy. And I hope on that, as on the issue of the national living wage, we can find some agreement between each other. Mr Speaker, the question I also put to the Prime Minister, which perhaps he wasn't listening to, perhaps he wasn't listening to it was, what he was going to do... What, he, what I asked was what he's going to do about the UK-administered tax havens, which receive large sums of money from dodgy sources, which should and must be closed down, as should any tax evasion in the City of London. We need a British government that's prepared to chase down this level of corruption. This government has done more than any previous government to deal with this issue of making sure that our overseas territories and Crown dependencies are not tax havens but behave in a responsible way. And as I said earlier, they're now taking part in the automatic exchange of tax information. That didn't happen before. They've signed up to a common reporting standard for multinational companies. That didn't happen before. And they've now, they're getting central registries so we can find out who owns the companies in each territory. Now, I think all of these things are real progress. Of course we would like them to go further and have public registries of beneficial ownership like we are introducing in this country, not because of anything a Labour government did, but because of a decision by a Conservative Prime Minister. But where I would urge him to be fair on these territories and Crown dependencies is many of them now have gone much further even than many developed countries. Indeed, actually you get more information now out of some of our Crown dependencies and overseas territories than you would get out of the United States uh, in terms of Delaware. So let's be fair on these for which we have an obligation and a responsibility. We're making them improve their record and he should acknowledge that. Mr Speaker, a month ago the Prime Minister informed the House that he welcomed the European Union proposals on country-by-country tax transparency reporting. We also agreed with that. Yet, on the 26th of April, Conservative MEPs voted against these proposals. Did they not receive a memo from him, or what? People expect that trade in this country. People expect that people pay their tax in this country. Tomorrow, the European Parliament will be voting again on country-by-country reporting. Can he assure the House that Conservative members of the European Parliament will support these measures, as he told? us they would a month ago. Well, the most important thing is that we support these measures. This government supports these measures. Indeed, these measures have only come forward because it's been a Conservative government here in the United Kingdom proposing them. Now, the only area of disagreement, I would suspect, between himself and and myself is I don't think we should set a minimum tax rate for these countries. That's always been a position, actually, of Labour governments and previous Conservative governments, that while we want to make sure all these territories behave properly, we don't actually set, make them set a minimum tax rate. That's the difference between us. If we want to swap 
swap voting records of Labour MEPs and Tory MEPs. Let's have a whole session on it because I've got plenty of material in here. Mr Speaker, that was a very long answer when he could have have quite simply said, Mr Speaker, he could have quite simply said whether or not he supports these proposals and if his Conservative MEPs are going to vote for them. Mr Speaker, the Prime Minister will be very well aware of the concern across the whole country about the question of unaccompanied child refugees across Europe. They are in a desperate plight. They're in a very dangerous situation. Everyone's heart reaches out to them. But we have to do more than that, and we have to be practical in our help for them. I got a letter this week from a voluntary worker with child refugees by the name of Hannah. She wrote to me about these children, some of whom have family members in this country. Can the Prime Minister confirm that in respect of response to Lord Dubb's amendment, there will be no delay whatsoever in accepting 3,000 unaccompanied child refugees into this country to give them the support they need and allow them to enjoy the childhood they and all our children deserve? Well, what I can say to the right honourable gentleman is that we will follow the Dubs Amendment. That is now the law of the land. And, of course, the Dubs Amendment says that we have to consult very carefully with local authorities to make sure that as we take these children in, we're able to house them, clothe them, feed them, make sure they're properly looked after. So we need to look at the capacity of our care system. Because if you look at some councils, particularly in, in Kent and southern England, they're already struggling because of the large number of unaccompanied uh, children who've come in. Just two figures for him to put this in context. Last year, 3,000 unaccompanied children arrived and claim asylum in the UK e even before the scheme that's being introduced. Second figure is, of course, under Dublin, children with a connection to the UK can already uh, claim asylum in France or Italy and then come to the UK. We've accepted 30 such transfers uh, since February. But what I can say about Dubs, there won't be any delay. We'll get on with this as fast as we can. But in order to follow the law, we've got to talk to our local authorities first. Tom Persglove. Thank you, Mr Speaker. During President Obama's recent visit, was the Prime Minister able to talk to him about the issue of um, Chinese dumping of steel and the action, the robust action that he's been able to take in the United States to address it, including introducing tariffs of 288%? If so, was his advice, keep backing British steel, increase the tariffs and tell the Chinese to go to the back of the line? Well, I did discuss this issue with uh, President Obama, and uh, both the US and the European Union have taken action against Chinese dumping. If you look at the, the figures, the excess steel capacity in China is around 25 times higher than the UK's entire production. The anti-dumping tariffs we have produced uh, in the EU have been very effective and in some categories have reduced Chinese exports by as much as 98%. So he shouldn't believe some of the figures put around that the EU action doesn't work. It does work. And, of course, if we were outside the EU, we might be subject to those tariffs ourselves. Angus Robertson. Yeah. Uh, the, Prime Minister's, the Prime Minister's government was elected with 37% of the vote. So I'm sure he would acknowledge the success of Nicola Sturgeon and the SNP in being returned victoriously for a third time with 46% of the vote. 
the highest of any political party in national elections anywhere currently in Western Europe. Mr Speaker, on the anti-corruption summit, has the Prime Minister read the appeals from Nigerian campaigners who say, our efforts are sadly undermined if countries such as your own are welcoming our corrupt to hide their ill-gotten gains in your luxury homes, department stores, car dealerships, private schools and anywhere else that will accept their cash with no questions asked. The role of London's property market as vessels to conceal stolen wealth has been exposed in court documents, reports, documentaries and more. What is the Prime Minister going to do about this? Uh, well, first of all, I'm delighted to congratulate Nicola Sturgeon on her victory uh, in the Scottish elections, as I'm sure he'd want to congratulate Ruth Davidson on her study. Yeah. something in common because of course the SNP have gone from majority to minority while the Conservatives have gone from coalition to majority so uh, next week he can, he can get up and ask me how we're getting on with order, ordering some more pandas for Edinburgh Zoo I think would be a very positive development but the question he asks about the corruption summit is absolutely right the whole point of holding this summit in London is to say the action is necessary by developed countries as well as developing countries and one of the steps we're taking to make sure that foreign companies that own UK property have to declare who the beneficial owner is will be one of the ways we make sure that plundered money from African countries can't be hidden in London. Thanks, Robertson. Thank you very much Mr Speaker. It would be helpful if you would confirm that that list will be publicly available and not just accessible for the police but seeing as the Prime Minister is prepared to lecture other countries on corruption and probity, could he explain why seven police forces in the UK have launched criminal investigations into Conservative MPs for potential electoral fraud? And Mr Speaker, Mr. Speaker it's very serious. So how is it, how is it that a Conservative Crime and Policing Commissioner can serve in such a role when being under police investigation? Well, well, first of all, let's be clear about this anti-corruption summit. Nobody is lecturing anybody. I think look, one of the reasons this issue doesn't get addressed is because countries and politicians are too worried about addressing it, knowing that no country is perfect, nor indeed is any politician. But I think it's right for Britain to take this lead, not least because we meet our 0.7% contribution on aid. I think we are entitled to raise this incredibly important issue. As for the issue of what he says about the Electoral Commission, the whole point in this country, the Electoral Commission is independent, and when it comes to operational decisions by a police force, they are independent too. And that be the case, that's the hallmark of an uncorrupt country. Henry Smith! Mr Speaker, I know that my right honourable friend will want to join with me in congratulating Katie Bourne, who was re-elected as the Sussex Police and Crime Commissioner last week, topping the poll. Uh, in uh, Crawley, uh, significantly for her work in helping victims. Uh, on the, in that respect, uh, will the Prime Minister commit to introducing a British Bill of Rights as yeah. soon as possible? Yeah. 
I'm happy to make that commitment and let me join him in congratulating Katie Ball and indeed all those candidates who were successful. I think what we saw in the Police and Crime Commissioner election, hold on a second, in a minute, what we saw in the Police and Crime Commissioner elections was a very large increase in turnout, sometimes as much as 25 percentage point increase in turnout, and I think this new uh, role in our country is bedding in well. For the sake of completion, yes, I'm very happy to uh, congratulate Carwin Jones, who I spoke to over the weekend, to congratulate Arlene Foster, uh, who will be First uh, Minister of Northern Ireland, indeed, and I spoke to her and the Deputy First Minister yesterday, and to congratulate Sadiq Khan, who won a very clear victory in London, and we all look forward to working with him for the benefit of Londoners. Uh, Diana Johnson! When Hull was left out of the government's plans for the rail electrification of the north, Hull businesses got together and produced a privately financed scheme to do the work for uh, City of Culture 2017. It's been with the Department of Transport now for two years. Does the Prime Minister think that the Department of Transport's attitude shows incompetence or indifference to the scheme that's been put forward with private money? Well, I, I think the Honourable Lady is being um, slightly unfair on the Department, not least because passengers will benefit from 500 new, brand new carriages and the removal of the outdated, unpopular Pacer trains. £1.4 million of investment is going into Hull Station to be delivered before it becomes the UK City of Culture. And I understand the Department of Transport is considering the case to complete the electrification between Selby and Hull. We make these investments because we have a strong economy and we're investing in our infrastructure. Andrew Stevenson. Thank you, Mr Speaker. I recently visited Silent Night in Barnoldswick, whose award-winning apprenticeship scheme has now created 40 full-time jobs. Will the Prime Minister join me in congratulating Silent Night on the success of their scheme, which has helped the company expand and allow them recently to award all of their over 1,000 employees with an additional £250 thank you bonus? Well, I'm happy to join my honourable friend in congratulating Silent Night. I remember visiting it uh, with him in 2014. Back then they employed 800 people, they now employ 1,100 people. That is a good example of a business uh, expanding under this government. They're big backers of apprenticeships and of course our target is 3 million apprentices in this parliament. Thank you Mr Speaker. Already in 2016 at least 46 women have been murdered in the UK. This number would be much higher if not for specialist refuges. I am standing to beg the Prime Minister to exempt refuge accommodation from the changes to housing benefit beyond 2017. This will certainly close services. I don't want to hear a stock answer about the £40 million over the next four years. He knows and I know that won't stop refuges shutting. Will he exempt refuges? Will he choose to save lives? Please. The Honourable Lady raises an important point, and that is why we delayed the introduction of this change so we could look at all of the possible consequences and make sure we get it right so that we help vulnerable people. Mike Freer! Thank you, Mr Speaker. Thank you, Mr Speaker. HIV infection rates in the UK are on the rise. And my reasonable friend will be aware that NHS England have refused to fund pre-exposure prophylactic treatment. Will my reasonable friend agree to meet with me and leading AIDS charities so that we can review uh, this unacceptable decision? 
Well, I think it's right that he raises this. My understanding is NHS England are considering their commissioning responsibility. I want them to reach a decision on this quickly, uh, in this month if possible, because there's no doubt, as he says, there is a rising rate of infection, that these um, uh, treatments can help and make a difference. Uh, we are planning trial sites. They're already underway. We're investing £2 million to support these over the next two years. But he's right to raise this, and I'll make sure he gets the meetings he needs to make progress with it. Yes, Dahmer. Thank you, Mr Speaker. In my first year as an MP, every other uh, person to my advice, uh, constituency of vice surgery has been an anxious council tenant, usually mum, dad and two or three children living in a one-bedroom flat, and they're often in tears. They cannot afford to rent in the private market, they cannot afford to buy their council flat, and they absolutely cannot afford a starter home. Can the Prime Minister explain in practical and meaningful terms that I can read to them from Hansard when I go on Friday why, in his view, the housing bill will not make their intolerable situation worse? What I would say to his constituents is there's a series of things that I believe will help them. First of all, making sure the right to buy is there for housing association tenants as well as council tenants with the full discounts makes a difference. Added to that, because you've got help to buy, which means that people need a smaller amount of equity to buy their house, that helps too. Further to that, starter homes will make a difference because people will be, they will be more affordable. Added to that, shared accommodation homes means that where you previously needed a deposit of £30,000 to buy a house, you may be able to buy a house now for just a few thousand pounds deposit. All of those things make a difference. And for those in estates that need regeneration, we're backing that regeneration that never happened under a Labour government. Thank you, Mr Speaker. I'm proud that this government's delivered unemployment levels in my constituency a record low 1.6%. I am doubly proud, Mr Speaker, that this government's delivered the Cardiff City deal, a £1.2 billion investment into infrastructure. Does the Prime Minister agree and share my eagerness now to see the M4 Relief Road, the Eastern Bay Link and electrification of the city and valley lines delivered in Wales? Well, my honourable friend is absolutely right to raise these issues because the money is there and now, frankly, with a new Welsh uh, government in place, we need the action, particularly on the M4. It's a vital transport artery. We've given the Welsh Government 500 million in increased borrowing powers. The delay in upgrading the M4 is damaging business in South Wales and, frankly, it's high time the Welsh Government got on with it. Roger Mullin. Mr Speaker, the Why Young Syrians Choose to Fight report claims it is money rather than religious fervour that acts as a recruiter for Daesh, while the Syrian army pays around $100 per month, often late, Daesh can pay $300 a month on time due to its funding and sophistication. Does the Prime Minister agree much more needs to be done to offer alternative economic avenues for Syrians? disrupt flows of funding and undermine the brains behind Daesh. Well, I agree with what he says about the importance of economic development and aid, and that is why we have a very generous aid budget. But clearly, right now in Syria, it's very difficult to get aid, support and development through. Where I take issue with him is I think if we purely see this as Daesh recruiting people because they're paying them, we would miss the point that the cancer of Islamist extremist violence is damaging our world and our country, not just in Syria, but in other places too. And we have to understand the nature of that extremism if we're going to defeat it. Mac. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah.
Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Havant's new Dunsbury Hill Farm business park will create around 300,000 new jobs. Will the Prime Minister join me in congratulating its first new tenant, Fatface, and also uh, support job creation across Britain? I certainly join him in congratulating the expansion of business in his constituency. I think the claimant count in his constituency has fallen by a staggering 52% since 2010, and we need to keep on with this by making sure we're expanding the training and the apprentices that help people get the jobs that are being created. Gavin Newland! Thank you, Mr Speaker. The Prime Minister, as Leader of the Opposition, said that the UK was fast becoming a surveillance state with powers which would cause concern in the most oppressive regimes, and he promised to sweep the whole rotten edifice away. But he has completely U-turned, and his investigative powers bill proposes to retain a record of every website visited by anyone in the UK. Why has the Prime Minister changed from being the self-proclaimed defender of civil liberties in opposition to championing ineffective mass surveillance in government? I have to say, I just completely disagree with the Honourable Gentleman. I hope he will follow and listen to the debates that take place on this vital bill. The fact is, if you, if you want to make sure that we can keep our country safe, just as we have been able to see the communications data when two people talk to each other on a mobile phone or a fixed phone, so if that conversation is taking place by people visiting an internet site, is he happy for plots to be hatched, uh, terrorism to be planned, murders to be arranged because people are using an internet site rather than a telephone. Now my answer to that is no. We've got to modernise the capabilities to keep our country safe and that's what this bill's about. My right honourable Fred said in November 2015 that access to the internet should not be a luxury, it should be a right. The accompanying press release went on to say that every home and business could have access to fast broadband by the end of this Parliament. Could my right honourable friend say today, unequivocally, no ifs or buts, this commitment will be honoured? Well, I'm afraid my honourable friend is going to have to wait for the Queen's speech. We're going to be setting out the next steps of how we make sure access to this absolutely vital highway is there for all our citizens. Chris Law. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Uh, will the Prime Minister give me a personal commitment to work with the Scottish Government to deliver funding for a Tay City deal for Dundee and the surrounding area? Yeah. I, I'm very happy to give that uh, commitment. Um, I think city deals are working. They're working in Scotland, and I was very uh, uh, proud to be there with the Aberdeen city deal. But I would obviously make the point is city deals between the Scottish Government and the UK Government and the city concerned can only work if we're all part of one happy United Kingdom. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Respected journalist Nora Kernsberg has been subjected to an online hate campaign oh, which appears to be sexist witch hunt to silence her. Increasingly, this is a tool used against people in public life by those who take an opposing view. Will my right honourable friend condemn this kind of harassment and will he work with media and social media platforms to preserve the right to speak freely without intimidation or hate? Well, we must be able to speak freely and we must have a robust and uh, uh, lively democracy. But some of the things people say on Twitter, uh, knowing that they are in some way anonymous, are frankly appalling and people should be ashamed of the sort of sexist bullying that often takes place. Karen Buck! Last, last, last week London elected a new mayor with an over... 
overwhelming mandate to tackle London's housing crisis, and it's a crisis many of us fear the housing bill will make worse. Last April, the Prime Minister launched his manifesto promising to replace sold council houses with affordable homes in the same area. Why then is he opposing amendment to the housing bill this afternoon, which effectively implements last year's manifesto commitment? Well, let, let me again congratulate Sadiq Khan for his victory and say how much we're looking forward to working with him on the issues that matter to Londoners, whether it's transport or housing or keeping London safe. I would put the question back to the Honourable Lady. Our housing bill means that every high-value property sold will mean two new affordable homes in London. So why is it that the Labour Party and the other place, the Labour Party and the other place, are opposing what will mean more houses, more affordable housing, more home ownership? That's the truth. They talk a good game, but in the end of the day, they are the enemies of aspiration. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. During military operations in Afghanistan, British forces were heavily reliant on locally employed interpreters who constantly put themselves in harm's way alongside our people. I saw my own eyes during Herrick 9 just how brave these interpreters were. Does the Prime Minister agree that it is a stain on our country's honour that we have abandoned a large number of them to be threatened by the Taliban? Some have been murdered, others have had to flee their homes in fear of their lives. We owe the interpreters a huge debt of gratitude and honour, and we must provide safety and sanctuary for them here. What I say to my honourable friend is that we debated and discussed around the National Security Council table in the coalition government and then announced in this House of Commons a scheme to make sure that those people who had helped our forces in terms of translation and other services were given the opportunity of coming to the UK. But we set up two schemes, one to encourage that, but another scheme, a very generous scheme, to try and encourage those people that either wanted to stay or hadn't been translators for a long enough period to stay in Afghanistan and help rebuild that country. And I think that is important to have both schemes in place rather than simply saying that everyone in any way involved can come immediately to the UK. Let's back Afghans to rebuild their own country. Thank you, Mr Speaker. The Prime Minister has confirmed to me that should we leave the EU, then European convergence funding for the very poorest parts of Wales would, of course, cease. Will he now confirm that in such a case the UK governments would make up the difference? Well, the point I would make to the honourable gentleman, as I would to anyone asking a question about what happens were we to leave, is that I don't think you can give a guarantee. I am a profound believer in our United Kingdom. I want to go on making sure that poorer regions and parts of our country were properly supported. But if, as I think is the case, we would find our economy would be hit by leaving and our tax receipts would be hit by leaving, then that is obviously going to impact the amount of funding that we can put into agriculture or research or indeed poorer parts of our country. That is why I think the safe, the sensible and the right option is to vote to remain in a reformed European Union. Philip Davis. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Can I support the Prime Minister in his comments about Nigeria and Afghanistan and ask him, <laughs> and, and ask him if he will stop pouring hundreds of millions of pounds of taxpayers' money into those and other corrupt countries until they've cleaned up their act? And whilst he's at it, can he tell us where he has the European Union in his league table of corruption, given they haven't had their account signed off for 20 years? Um, can I thank, as ever, my honourable friend for his uh, help and support and, um, and, uh, 
and his tips on diplomacy as well, I think, are also <laughs> useful given the last 24 hours. Now, what I'd say to him is this. Countries like Nigeria and Afghanistan, their leaders are battling hard against very corrupt systems and countries. And in both their cases, they've made some remarkable steps forward. And that's why I'm so keen to welcome them to the anti-corruption conference here in London. But where I part company with my honourable friend is I don't think it would be right to withdraw the aid that we give. Because, frankly, the problems in those countries, they come back and haunt us here. Whether it is problems of migration or problems of terrorism and all the rest of it, we are a country involved in a dangerous global world. And I see our aid budget, 0.7%, alongside our defence budget, 2% of our GDP, as ways of keeping us safe and prosperous in a dangerous world, as well as fulfilling our important moral responsibilities. I'm afraid the amount of noise regularly in the chamber makes it necessary to outdo the Barclays Premier League matches in terms of the provision of injury time. It is a pleasure to call Jill Furness. 27 years ago in my constituency we saw the country's biggest sporting disaster. It is clear that we won't have the full truth about Hillsborough until we have the full truth about Orgreave and the policing of the miners' strike. Will the Prime Minister accept the call by the Orgreave Truth and Justice campaign and initiate an inquiry? say to the Honourable Lady is my right hand friend the Home Secretary has met with that group and is considering the points that they have uh, put forward uh, and will come to her conclusions in the right time. Double. Thank you Mr Speaker. Business leaders in Cornwall as indeed up and down the country are awaiting news of progress on the decision of airport expansion in the South East. Following this morning's announcement by Heathrow Airport that they are now accepting all of the Airport Commission's recommendations, can the Prime Minister update the House when we can expect a decision and does he agree with me that a third runway at Heathrow offers the best opportunity for growth, jobs and the future prosperity yeah, of our country. Yeah, yeah. Um, can I first of all, um, uh, with my many unforced errors in the last uh, 24 hours, um, apologise to the Honourable Lady because of course I should have welcomed her to the House of Commons and congratulated her on our by-election victory and say that she's already made uh, lost no time in speaking up for her constituents in a very powerful and very accomplished uh, way. Let me say to my Honourable Friend um, behind me that uh, as we announced earlier this year there are issues of air quality that need to be resolved. We're on our way to working out how to resolve them and when we do we can come back to the House and announce what happens next. My constituent's mother was killed in 1981. At the time, it was covered up as a suicide pact. But 18 years later, it was uncovered that she had actually been murdered by my constituent's father and his mistress. I don't think anyone in this house can imagine the pain and suffering that her and her family have had to endure. But they are now having to relive this pain because ITV are dramatising their whole ordeal completely against her wishes, using not only the real names of her family, but also her own. I have raised this with ITV and Ofcom, and as far as I can see, no rules have been broken. But does the Prime Minister not agree that victims' voices should have a far greater role in any accounting of their tragedy? And will he meet with me and my constituent to discuss what more can have been, what more can have been done in this situation and how we can strengthen the regulation in future to protect victims? Yeah. 
Well, I, I wasn't aware of the case that the Honourable Lady rightly raises. I, I remember uh, my time working in the television industry that there are occasions when these decisions are made that can cause a huge amount of hurt and upset to uh, families. What I will do is discuss this case with the Culture Secretary and bring it to his attention and see if there's anything else other than the conversation she's already had with ITV and Ofcom, who are a powerful uh, regulator, whether there's anything more that can be done. Briefly and main. Yesterday, the noble Lord Prior said that he spoke up for vaping as a way of getting off cigarettes, and so is the Royal College of Physicians. So why are we bringing in the Brussels diktat that says we must include vaping in the tobacco directive? Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, I'm happy to look at this issue closely. It is a, a I think, that it's necessary to differentiate between uh, smoking and vaping because they have very different health effects. I actually think that is what is being achieved. But I'll look carefully into this and, and write to my honourable friend. Lastly, Mr. Tim Farron. Uh, the Prime Minister. Order! The rights of my order! The... <laughs> However irritating the honourable gentleman. <laughs> maybe to government backbenchers. He has a right to be heard. And he will be heard, Mr. Tim Farron. I'm, uh, I am. Uh, I am fantastically grateful to you, Mr. Speaker. Um, uh, I, uh, I heard the Prime Minister on two occasions this afternoon congratulate the new Mayor of London, Sadiq Khan, and I would like to repeat that myself. He did not, however, apologise for his graceful, racist yeah. campaign that the Conservative Party chose to run in that yeah. campaign. Will he take the opportunity to apologise for deliberately dividing communities in order to win cheap votes? Yeah. Well, it's a great way to end the session, getting a lesson in clean campaigning from the Liberal Democrats. Yeah.